neighborhood hatchet man brother craig coming at you live here on virginia's big dog radio program the really real deal and folks as promised we have my very very good friend pastor carl gallops i lovingly call him brother carl and uh we have him on the line and uh folks let me tell you a little bit about brother carl here and uh you know he's written another fantastic book and uh, Brother Carl, I've, I've, he has honored me to appear on uh, this radio program more than anyone else. I think we're like maybe eight or nine uh, interviews now. And, uh, you know, we, we have uh, done literally about three or 400 interviews. And uh, Brother Carl is always among my favorites. And I guarantee you, Brother Carl, my father-in-law is uh, listening out in California. Uh, you're one of his favorites, too. But this brother... Uh, was a police officer. Uh, this brother has been the pastor of a, a real pastor of a real church, Hickory Hammock Baptist Church down in Milton, Florida, for 30 years. Okay, He's a member of the Board of Regents at the University of Mobile in, in Alabama. His first book uh, was in 2012, The Magic Man in the Sky. And, uh, you know, my sweet, lovely wife, Mrs. Hatchett, uh, suggested I read it. I initially scoffed at it, but uh, man, I'm so glad I did what every smart man does. Listen to your wife. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and brother, then, uh, the rabbi who found Messiah out, that just blew me away. Okay. Be thou prepared. Final warning when the lion roars. And now you've done it again, brother. And uh, now I've not had time. I have to be honest with you, Brother Carl. Uh, the book came in the mail late. Okay, it just came in the mail yesterday. And so I really um, be kind of, you know, I typically am very, very prepared. Like you say, be thou prepared. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little bit, you know, I'm going to have to kind of work this one out. But, you know, we've we've done this dance many times, and I think it's going to be just fine. But. Thank you so much. Um, you know, we really, really do appreciate you. And you've had me on your radio program, which was a, was a treat. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brother Craig. And to your wife and father-in-law, and I know those folks. They're precious to me and your audience. And, and, and thank you for your kind words. I appreciate it. Listen, I'm glad you got the book. I'm sorry it was late. Uh, there oh. was a mix-up with the distributors. We got all that straightened out, and they're going out now like crazy. And, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just you, brother. We didn't single you out. I oh, I know you would never do that. But <laughs> no it's just—it's so fascinating, you know, Elohim. Uh, I mean, I mean, the things you write are just—and it's like it's profound, but at the same time, it's like, wow, I've been hearing about this all my life. You know, Elohim, the Trinity. Um, you know, let us make man in in our image and in our. I mean, it's. I mean. Even in and in, 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 in the uh the, the serpent, I just found it fascinating. And you just take simple truths and you stream it together. I mean, it's almost like, you know, Michael Jordan made it look easy, but he worked real hard. Yeah. <laughs> well thank you. Well, if it looks easy, let me just tell you all praise to Jesus. And yes, there was a lot of hard work behind it. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, and I do give the Lord all praise for this. Listen, 
I, I, this is my sixth book. All of them are unique. Every one of them deals with different areas of the Christian faith and the biblical message and theology and things going on in the world. All of them have a, a, a prophetic undertone to them. In other words, they, they're just looking at the times in which we live and then mm-hmm. explaining to Christians how to live, how to understand the Word, what our mission is, what's going on in the world around us. But this book is unique among them all, and it is critically acclaimed by some really big people in, in the Christian world. Mm-hmm. And um, it is, brother, one month before it was officially released on Amazon. By the way, it doesn't officially release till tomorrow, mm-hmm. but it's been on Amazon for a little over a month. And um, so if you order it now, I mean, you'll get it the next day or two, right, from Amazon, mm-hmm. just telling your audience that. It's called Gods and Thrones. Gods and Thrones. And one month ago, it was ranked number one bestseller in six categories on Amazon, and it wow. was ranked number 400 out of all 17 million books on wow. Amazon. So it was in the top one. That's in pre-order. One percent. That's pre-order. That's in pre-order, brother. Now, in the meantime, the reviews are just coming in because people are just getting them, and there are already five reviews, five five-star reviews, and and you know, and I'll let you read them. I'm not going to read them. That'll mm. sound vain, but it's just people's lives are being changed because of this book. Yeah. And again, all praise to Jesus because yeah. you know the Word of God is the only word we ultimately need. Uh, but but books like mine, and there are other authors that occasionally will put something out there that really illuminates the Word, Mm -hmm. and this one illuminates the Word in deep, profound ways that we just don't hear preached and taught from the pulpits anymore. This is what we um, need, brother. Yeah, uh, I thank you, brother. And and I want your audience to know, this, this stuff that's in this book, I did not pull out of my back pocket. I used 36 scholarly commentaries uh, the writings of modern language, uh, biblical language experts that are renowned with PhDs and peer-reviewed and, of course, examining the Dead Sea Scrolls. I use 24 scholarly translations of the Bible. Uh, but, the, but with all of that scholarly backing behind it and underpinning, I wrote it at the level that it can be every pastor, every person in every pew can understand it, they can get it, they can go, oh my gosh, I never saw this in the Scripture before, but there yeah. it is. Yeah. And, and what I do is I just connect the dots, Brother mm-hmm. Craig, from Genesis yeah. to Revelation, and I keep it flowing in a nice stream mm-hmm. to help people see. Then I move it from the theological understanding. I move it right into today's headlines. Mm-hmm. And that's where people freak out because they say, oh, my gosh, I see it. Right. Now I know what's happening in the world. Now mm-hmm. I understand it. Now I get it. And then I move it from there into the life of the individual Christian, and I make it very real. And then I move it from there into eternity and the new coming the coming age of Jesus Christ the coming rule and reign and what our place is in eternity according to God's word and according to the story from Genesis to Revelation so yeah. I, this I'm telling is you, not I'm, just for uh, pastors either is it this no. uh, oh know, no if the men out there are going to be the five P's you know the priest the prophet the pastor the protector and the provider of your home for your family if you know we play that song, It's a Man's World for a Reason. <laughs> this, this will help you do that, won't it, Brother Carl? Yes, it will. Yes, it will, brother, and that's, that's the whole point. And, uh, but uh, anyway, um, can I explain kind of how it came to be and what the Please. title means? I mean, we can start there because some people Please may be do. confused. 
Yeah, I like to have provocative titles, you mm-hmm. know, like Magic Man in the Sky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people say, well, I'm not going to read a book that calls God a magic man. No, I don't call God a magic man in the sky. The atheists call him a magic man in the sky. Right. So what I do is I write this book saying, okay, let's talk about this. Is he really magic? Is he just a man? Is he in the sky? Let's mm-hmm. talk about this. Okay, same thing with this. Mental jujitsu. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And 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 the same thing with this title, Gods and Thrones. You know, people look at it and say, Well, there's no such thing as a pantheon of gods and and, and, and you know, and that's Greek mythology. Well, I get that. And that's not what it means. When you start reading it you understand. That's exa- that's but 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 the deal is, let me tell you where the title comes from. Mm-hmm. The title comes from this. There is a word in the Bible that is the most prolific word used for the name of God himself. And the word is Elohim. Elohim, it's a Hebrew word. And it's found, it's the very first name of God we're introduced to in the Mm -hmm. Bible. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens Mm -hmm. and the earth. Okay, In the beginning, we created. Well, yeah, let me... me, well, yeah, but uh, yeah, we, but that's, no, 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 that's a horrible translation. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after you read my book and mm-hmm. go through it, you'll understand. Mm-hmm. But it's in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. Now, because the only creator is God, and when we get to the New Testament, we discover over and over it said that Jesus Christ you know, is the creator. He created all things in him. All things were created by in him. All things hold together. So I deal with all of that. Does, so does God present himself in, in a person? Well, of course he did in Jesus Christ. Does he present himself as a person in the Old Testament? Absolutely. And my, and my book goes into all of that, backed up by scholarly, scholarly stuff. So people are going to be surprised what they, what they read. But anyway, getting back to the title. Mm-hmm. So when you deal with this gods in the plural, why is that? All right, watch this. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The word Elohim is a complex word. It's like our word deer or buffalo or glasses. Let me explain. Mm-hmm. If I shout out to you right now, deer. Or look at the deer. All right, are you thinking of one deer standing in the woods that I just saw? Mm-hmm. Or are you thinking, oh my gosh, look at all those deer. There's a herd of deer. Mm-hmm. All I said was look at the deer. But see, the word deer is plural or singular. Mm-hmm. See, it's, if it's in the plural, it's deer. If it's in the singular, it's deer. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we know if it's plural or singular? Mm-hmm. depends upon the context. And it depends upon the verbs and the uh, qualifying words around it. Mm. Buffalo, same way. Mm. If I say, look at the buffalo, same thing. Mm. One buffalo or a herd of buffalo. It depends. Glasses, the opposite. Yeah. All right, but now watch. Glasses (laughs) is even a little more complex. Yeah. Because glasses, if I say, um, hey, I need those glasses right there. I can't read this. Or if I say, hey, bring me the glasses. We're getting ready to have a party. Mm. All right, two different kinds of glasses all together, but it's the same word. Mm-hmm. spelled the same, but one is singular and one is plural. Mm-hmm. If I use it for the things we put over our eyes, that's singular. If I use it for the things that are in the cupboard out of which we drink, that's plural. So so the word Elohim is exactly like all of that. Mm-hmm. It depends. Whenever you see a Hebrew word ending in the I-M, mm-hmm. that's, that means it's plural. It's like our English S or E-S, okay? Like glasses, 
Okay, you say, well, it obviously ends with an S, uh, you know, uh, E-S, so it's obviously plural. No, not if you're talking about uh, the glasses that we put over our face. That's singular. Oh, well, why does it have an E-S? Well, it's one of those complex English words. Well, Elohim is one of those complex Hebrew words. So, now, here's the deal. The vast majority of the 3,000 times it's used in the Old Testament the vast majority of those times, it's used to speak of God. And it's usually found in conjunction with the word Lord. The Lord God said. Now that word Lord is is Yahweh. Mm. God is Elohim. So in Hebrew it would say, Yahweh Elohim said. Yahweh Elohim. All right, why why does God prefer that title for himself, Elohim? 3,000 times it's used, and most of it, it is to speak of God. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't say in the beginning, Yahweh created. He doesn't say in the beginning, El Shaddai, or El Adonai, or Adonai. It says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. All right, now. Here's where it gets really exciting and interesting, and I go into this in my book in great detail Mm -hmm. because it sure does bring a lot of light to the New Testament as well. The word Elohim is translated mostly to speak of the name of God, but it is also translated because of the verbs and the qualifying words and the context involved to speak of the angelic realm, the divine realm, the divine council, the heavenly host. Many, many, many translations in many, many places mm. use the word gods with little g to indicate that they're talking about the divine realm. Why? Because the word in the Hebrew is Elohim, but it's clearly not speaking about Yahweh, Adonai. It's mm. speaking about the divine realm. And so as a matter of fact, you say, yeah, but does God ever clearly say that himself? Oh, yes, he does. Psalm 82, where it says, Elohim is seated in the, in the divine council among the Elohim. And then he says to them, have I not called you Elohim? Wow, and, and then so it's, it, used th- it's used three times there. Elohim yes. himself in one yes. tense, the council in another, and then yes. someone he's called Elohim. That's correct, and you discover through the context that he's speaking to the divine council around him, the heavenly host. So, but then when you get to the, the book of Hebrews, I mean, when you get to the book of Ephesians, now we get it. Because in the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us that God is in the process of bringing the heavenly family together with the earthly family under one head, Jesus Christ, and that everything in heaven and on earth, watch this, derives its name from the Father. We share the Father's name. Hebrews, I mean, Ephesians tells us that. Now we understand because the word Elohim, it's also translated, like in the book of Job, B'nai Elohim, which means sons of God. And what do we hear throughout the New Testament? We shall be called sons of God. To them that believe in Jesus Christ, we are called sons of God. When we are with him in glory, we will be like the angels. We will be called the sons of God. What's God telling us? When our divine nature is restored because of the blood of Jesus, we will bear the name Elohim as well. Wow. And that Because it's his name. It's, yeah. it's his family name. And so... so and but, what psalm? But, what psalm was that where Elohim was used three times? Psalm eighty-two. Oh. But there are many others. My book outlines many other passages mm-hmm. that do this. I just gave that as an illustration. Again, oh, okay. when you read, 
when you read the book, you're going to be blown away, bro. Right, right. Yeah. And then you go from there to uh, the the serpent, and you know, and and folks are uh, taught that uh, the serpent is all bad, and but it's yeah. sort of a yin and yang there, isn't it? Well, yes, and let, let me just finish where I was going with that, and we'll move right to the serpent. That's perfect, mm-hmm. Brother Craig, because the title, Gods and Thrones. So what am I meaning there? Mm-hmm. Well, what we learn is, is that out of the divine council, the divine realm, by the way, you see the divine council in, 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 in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel said, and I saw a throne, and thrones set in place, and 10,000 times 10,000 angels around the throne, the heavenly host, and then came one like the Son of Man, and he was given authority over the nations. I mean, what's Daniel looking at? He's looking at the divine council, the heavenly host surrounding the throne of God. He's looking at the Elohim, little e, surrounding the throne of Elohim, big E, the creator of all things. And so we see that in Revelation, John chapter 4 and John chapter 5. John goes into the presence of the, of the throne of God, and what does he say? He says, I see a throne, him who is seated on it, and in the middle of the throne is the Lamb who holds the seven-sealed scroll, and around the throne are twelve other thrones, and around those are the four living creatures, and around those are ten thousand times ten thousand angels. So what's he looking at? The same thing Daniel saw, the divine council, the heavenly host, and on and on. The the scriptures tell us it's right before our face, but they also tell us that in the garden, at least there, Mm -hmm. we know that there was a fall. We know that some of the heavenly hosts rebelled and followed after Satan in order to try to capture this creation, this world, for themselves. Mm. They are known as the fallen ones, or the demonic realm, or the angels of Satan, Jesus mm. calls Satan and his angels, Jesus calls them. So, so what are they? They are Elohim, but they are the fallen Elohim. Mm-hmm. And, so and when they we want talk, to come back and take over. Well, absolutely, and they're doing it now, and now this brings light. My title is goes to Ephesians 6. Now listen to Ephesians 6. Uh-huh. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but it is against powers, authorities, and principalities in the unseen realm. Therefore, gird yourself up with the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand. Now, brother, we usually preach and teach that in some little cute Sunday school lesson about spiritual warfare and how how devil the devil tempted me to eat three bowls of ice cream last night instead of one. So, so I was, you know, so bad. Y'all pray for me. I'm doing some spiritual warfare. I cussed twice yesterday, and, and you know I shouldn't. Man, devil made me do it. No, no. All of that is our stupid sin nature and our flesh and bad decisions. That's mm. not spiritual warfare. That the Spiritual warfare is not about Craig or Carl so much as it is about the the gods, the little g, the mm. fallen ones behind the thrones of the earth that are attempting to take over this earth. Brother, they're taking over our nation right now. Yeah. Now, they're I need to over- ask you a question here because this has been that Ephesians 6 has been like a sticking point. And I mean, because as you know, I'm a simple man. A country boy on top of it, okay? Well, no, no, no you, you're putting words in my mouth, brother. I've never said that about you, <laughs> and I don't think that about you either. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead with your illustration. Well, I've, I've always kind of gotten that part of, of the way you explain the, um, the powers of the unseen. And, but the words 
have a dual meaning. And now in English, a principality uh, can also be a location. And so when you say uh, you're fighting against powers of um, in the uh, religious world and in the uh, civil world, the civil world would be a principality like here, the city of Richmond is a principality. The county of Henrico is a principality. So it seems like pow- just powerful people. The um, the Sanhedrin were, you know, the religious leaders. And today I call him Reverend Chickenfoot. Uh, I often use uh, for a preacher who would fit that description where it says they have a form of godliness but deny the power because it really their heart's not in it. Maybe they're in the religion business and not uh, trying to really truly be a son of God. And so I sort of look at this as the way it happens where the rubber meets the road. And is it possible that both things are true, that people who allow themselves to be yielded vessels of Satan, uh, if we look at the unseen world, where the seen world is right in your face and you give them a pass? Yes. No, that's exactly right. That is the double meaning. I mean, you've hit on it perfectly, Brother Craig, and that's what Paul is trying to warn us about. He says, let me tell you what this life is about. Yes, the flesh and blood is right in front of you. Yes, the kings. And listen, these principalities are also inside today's modern church, brother. Yes. Not just in the halls of Congress or governments or or in the Middle East or among ISIS or in Europe. It says high and heavenly places, so I take that as not only what you're describing on the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, isn't a church or a temple a high and heavenly place? Exactly. And so the point is that the double meaning is clearly there. But what Paul is trying to do is to wake up our spiritual eyes, because we're so tempted to see everything from a fleshly, earthly view alone. That's why he's saying, please understand, Hmm. our battle is not, and I'm going to add this word, and I know you're not supposed to add to the Word of God, but this is the context. This Uh is the context. Paul is saying, but our battle is not only against flesh and blood, Mm -hmm. but also against the powers behind the thrones, Mm -hmm. the principalities. And by the way, principality, the the most archaic definition of it means an area governed by a prince. Okay, mm. And when you get to the book of Daniel, what do we discover when one of the angels comes to, to, to Daniel in Daniel light. chapter He's 10? He comes to Je- Daniel in Daniel, and he says, I've come from the throne of God to bring the answer to your prayer. Your prayers have received, been received by the throne of God. He said, but I had to battle the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece on the way. He wasn't talking about literal, literal physical kings. He mm. was talking about the powers behind the thrones, wow. the princes of the principalities. That's what Paul is writing about. Yeah. That's what spiritual warfare is in our day, brother. This yeah. is not about how many bowls of ice cream we eat. <laughs> this is about the kingdom of Satan getting ready to manifest itself and the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's about the kingdom of God getting ready to come to this earth in the, mm-hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ. It's about a battle in the heavenly realms that's raging. Revelation 12, 12 yeah. says Satan now, has been now cast brother, down. Now, brother, we're like, 15 seconds from my bottom of the hour break. So, okay, go. Okay. And, uh, and folks, if you're just joining us, we have my very, very good friend, Brother Carl, Pastor Carl Gallops, discussing his latest book, 
gods and thrones. We will be right back. Welcome back to the program, Virginia. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on Virginia's big dog radio program, The Really Real Deal. And uh, I would like to remind you all out there that uh, we are starting now to uh, play best of your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, on Sunday mornings, uh, 9 to 11 tomorrow morning. So hopefully when you're on your way to church, you'll listen to a little bit of uh, Brother Craig and uh, some of the fantastic guests that we've had over the years, uh, like my good friend here, uh, Brother Carl Gallops. And, uh, and also this Wednesday will be my first uh, television episode of five. Uh, uh, Wednesday from 7.30 to 8.30, Comcast Channel 95, Verizon Channel 36. And uh, we're looking very much forward to uh, to seeing you there, and uh, it is a call-in uh, on Verizon and uh, Comcast. And uh, now, also, we're going to get back. The title of the book is Gods and Thrones. Uh, my good friend and uh, this brother, uh, book number six, uh, he is officially a bestseller. Uh, you've, uh, I think your first one was a bestseller, too, wasn't it, brother? Yes, sir, it was. I'm, yes. I'm so blessed. And, and in fact, I've... I've um it achieved the rank of uh, on Amazon uh, because you remember they sell millions of books, uh, mm-hmm. uh, top sixty. In other words, several of my books have been in the top sixty of all seventeen million books on Amazon. Wow! So That's... the Lord is just really, really blessed. Yeah, and there's so much. I and I know I had asked for forty five minutes. I'm just um, praying that we'd be able to get the whole hour in with you, brother. Yeah. Did you want me to answer your question about Nakash? Because it ties together. If you would, please. I mean, I'm and I and also I'm looking at. Um, oh gosh, I'm having brain freeze here. Bail. Okay, yeah. maybe we can get to bail because my understanding was that there was uh, some uh, idol to bail constructed this year. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so and it's yeah. all this old stuff. And if we we yeah, can, they took if, it on world tour. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if yeah. we could get to that and what your thoughts are on uh, all this interfaith, uh, these interfaith attempts, uh, particularly with uh, Islam, which is uh, a religion that uh, came uh, 600 years after Christ. Yeah. Well, okay. brother, let me just tell you, I'm not inviting myself back, but I can tell you by the time you read this book that you're going to have 12 12- more shows you're going to want to do or oh, questions. Well, look, you know, you always welcome here, brother. So we, we'd well, love to know, have you more. I just yes. want to tell you, I'm quite aware so many hosts get frustrated after they've read the book because they say, oh, my gosh, I need to have you on for the next year. I don't there. I've learned so much. I said, oh, my gosh, thank you. But but anyway, here's the yes. deal. Let me just explain this Nakash, because the title of the book is mm-hmm. Gods and Thrones. And then the subtitle is Nakash, Forgotten Prophecy, and the Return of the Elohim. Now that your audience knows what Elohim means, that word return means the demonic outpouring of the last days that the Bible is so clear about. Mm. I mean, just in no uncertain terms, the New Testament, you know, Paul says, the Spirit clearly says in the last days, 
this demonic outpouring, this apostasy they'll cause. The kings, they'll go to the kings of the earth and deceive them, John tells us in Revelation, and on and on and on. So that's what's happening. That's what's happening before our eyes. People ask, why is this world going crazy? Why is America going crazy? Why is the Middle East going crazy? The Bible told us what was going to happen, and that's the times in which we're living. But this term, nakash, it's a Hebrew word, again, and it translates literally to serpent. Now, we don't use the word serpent too much anymore. We would say the word snake. Right. Uh, so, um, but, but that's what it translates to. But it also has another nuance of meaning, which is in the Hebrew lexicon very clearly. And it says, however, it is used often symbolically to mean one who whispers magically, one who is artfully deceitful. And then it says, especially Satan. So we realize that the term nakash is a name used for Satan in the scriptures as well. Mm. Now, watch this. The first time we hear the word serpent, or as we would say in our modern language, snake, is in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And so we've got all these sermons and Sunday school lessons and little children's bedtime stories showing a talking snake wrapped around a tree, convincing a woman to eat a piece of fruit. And when she does, every man, woman, boy, and girl goes to hell forever for the rest of eternity. And and the whole world falls and everything messes up because a talking snake convinces. By the way, he had to be a really (laughs) smart snake because not only could he talk the human language, but he could deceive the human being. Mm. I mean, or, or that is a metaphor, not that Adam and Eve are metaphors. They're not. They're Mm. literal. The garden was literal. The fall was literal. But the story of what happened was either a literal snake talking human language, convincing a woman to eat a piece of fruit, or all of that has hugely symbolic meaning Mm. backed up by Scripture. And what I tell people, I start here, and this is all the time I have to do on this right now, but this will be important to your folks. Mm-hmm. So we got to ask, before we start talking about the trees and the fruit and the eating, and is that symbolic, we just start with the serpent. Is that a real snake? Mm-hmm. And you know what? Three times the Bible says, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's Satan. Let me just go and show you the three times. Go to Revelation 12. And Jesus is talking, and he says, and that ancient serpent called Satan, who mm-hmm. is Satan, the devil. Mm-hmm. So, 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 the, so Revelation tells us, you know that one that we call the serpent, that ancient one? How ancient is he? Well, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, uh, who is he really? It's not a talking snake. Who is it? The Bible says, no, that's Satan. That's the devil. Revelation 12 tells us that. Go now, to second que- Question on the the serpent and the powers of the serpent and uh, there there's a place where uh christians are instructed to be as gentle as a dove but as wise as a serpent and there there's also a place where uh moses's staff becomes a serpent that eats the serpent of the magician of pharaoh Mm -hmm. so and there's also the place where the serpent is lifted up in the wilderness. Those are three. Yeah. You want me to go down those? Because Would you please? All, those are th- okay. Now I'm going to have to get totally off subject of where I was and leave everybody hanging. Well. Because these are three different. 
completely <laughs> different context, and I'll be glad to handle them. But brother, what kind of time limit? Well, do we listen. Have? Okay, we've got twenty more minutes, so let's um, let me let you get back on track. And like you said, we're gonna have to have you back again if you'd be so kind to do so. I, oh, brother, I'd be glad to. You know, I love you and love your audience, but I just don't want to leave people hanging because okay. what the, it's it's not fair to them. Plus, it's not fair to me because people will then judge me and say, "You can't believe what that preacher said on the radio." Oh, okay. Well, but I didn't finish what I was saying. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. This the the thing with the serpents. I just like I said. I just, I got the book last yesterday, and I'm yeah. just trying to digest it, and it just fascinated me because there are all these things that you you like you said you'll read it and you'll say, oh wow, and that's yeah. what I was doing. Thank you, brother. You're so kind. You're so kind. Hey, just just when you read it, and I know you will, it'll suck you in. And by the time you're done, all of these questions will be answered for you. But I would love to come back on oh, and just share okay. whatever you want. But let me finish this. And we may have time to do everything you've asked, but let me just finish this. So the question is, is the serpent in the garden, is that a talking snake, or is it something else? Well, as I was saying, Revelation 12 tells us in no uncertain terms, no, it's Satan. It is, it is the being, Satan. Now watch this. So we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul says the same thing. He says, just like Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden. Okay, so he uses the word serpent. But then he goes on, and just a few verses later, he starts saying, you know, this is Satan. And even Satan can appear as an angel of light. He can, I mean, you know, he can appear to be a messenger from heaven who's speaking truth because that's what he did in the garden. But he wasn't a talking snake. He was Nakash, just like Eve was deceived by Nakash. And then Paul goes on to say, but that's Satan. That was Satan. But get this. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 28. Oh, my gosh. God himself, through the prophet Ezekiel, is declaring a judgment upon Satan, and he says, you were in the garden, but I cast you out as profane. And that word profane means he defiled himself. He defiled the garden. He defiled the creation. And my book talks about what that defilement probably consisted of based upon what other New Testament writers say. That's another whole program. But the bottom line is, God says in Ezekiel 28, you were in the garden. You, Satan, not a talking snake. Mm. And then it goes on to say, and you were an anointed cherub. Oh, my gosh. Mm. God tells us Satan was one of the cherubim. Well, who are the cherubim? Ezekiel tells us the cherubim are the living creatures. Well, when you get to Revelation, you see the four living creatures guarding the throne of God. That was what Satan was. He was one of those. He was not a talking snake. The Bible tells us three times that the Genesis garden narrative is not about a talking snake. Mm -hmm. It's about Satan and all of his glory and his beauty and his majesty and his deceitfulness and his, mm -hmm. and his power of manipulation. Yeah, folks need he, to grow up out of those childhood um, uh, tales. <laughs> Exactly. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Ephesians six passage. We want to make mm -hmm. it about how many bowls of ice cream we ate, and it's really about this hellish battle taking place mm -hmm. among the nations and Satan's desire to take over the world. Mm -hmm. We want to make Genesis three to be a children's bedtime story with a talking snake convincing a woman to eat an apple, while the rest of the world who doesn't understand the word of God laughs at us and says mm -hmm. we're 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 believing children's bedtime stories. And they're right if that's what we believe. But, 
But if you read the rest of the scriptures, the rest of the scriptures tell us what happened in the garden, who Nakash the serpent was, what he was doing, what it was that brought the whole creation down to the depths of hell in need of a Savior and the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's all right there, but you have to connect the dots, and my book connects the dots. And that's Mm -hmm. all I'm going to say about that, brother. What else you want to talk about? Well, we would, um, this this thing with Baal, uh, and this is uh, straight out of the Old Testament, and it's right back in our faces in 2017. Yes, sir. You know, Christian faith is... uh, the, really, the only faith that's under attack is the Christian faith. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tell me, how much time do we have, brother? And then we I'll have how to... 15 more minutes. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> let me answer the question like this. All right. You are right. The, the term Baal, B-A-A-L, now that's how we usually say it in the English. In Hebrew, it would be more most correctly pronounced Baal with kind of a guttural stop, but mm-hmm. none of us speak that way. So... We don't call it Baal, and I'll just call it Baal because that's what everybody calls it, Mm -hmm. but in the English anyway. B-A-A-L. We run into that name early on in the scriptures, and then we see it used in different forms, kind of like Elohim and then B'nai Elohim, and, you know, so Baal is the same way. There's different forms, but we see it. So we find out about Baal worship, which was instituted or, or brought among the Israelites through the Canaanites, and that's why God told them, go destroy them all. And once we understand what it was all about, you'll understand why God said, go destroy them all. But the bottom line is, it's the most ancient of the, watch this, of the gods, little g, the fallen ones that the that the ancient world was worshiping, they were worshiping. You say, yeah, but well, that's just an old worthless idol. Oh yeah, but the first two commandments in the Bible do not worship any other what gods, little g, and do not build any kind of a graven image unto them. Mm-hmm. If you do, I will pass this curse upon you, down through your children to many generations. That's the commandments, brother. The first two commandments are about don't bow down to the fallen Elohim. Mm -hmm. These are demons, and you can build little statues, and you can summon their presence, and they'll show up, not because of what you built. That's worthless, but because you're calling upon them. Mm-hmm. And God said, this is defiling my name. It is horrific. I will, that, that will be a generational curse if you bring that to your home. See how powerful this is once we understand this, Brother Craig? Yes. And Baal was the oldest of them all. And they would build these platforms. They would build these statues. Uh, statues they would have these rituals and you know what the rituals consisted of the t- the the three main elements was to be in a drug induced alcohol induced state of ecstasy mm-hmm. to sacrifice children in the flames for good luck they were told if you will get rid if you will sacrifice children to bail your children um, you, you will be financially um, made bail will bless you with finances um, they also had massive sexual orgies in front of these things, homosexual sex, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So all of these things that even are a part of our culture today were deeply ingrained in the Baal worship. And it was so filthy, it was so connected to the demonic realm, it was so degrading to an entire culture that God told the ancient Israelites, destroy the nations around you, destroy them all, or else they will infect your entire world. And so, anyway, when so, we get that, go ahead. No, 
where Brother Call, what is it about these preachers that won't preach that and won't come against, I mean, look at what's happening. The Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts are merging. You, you have uh, a homosexual secretary of the army. You have, you know, Harvey Weinstein. You have, I mean, you, you know, all the, you know, you can just go on. I could spend five minutes just detailing all the sexual perversions from, from the bathroom book, issues. My, yeah, my book answers the question. I can't wait till you read it. <laughs> <laughs> it answers it in great detail. Brother, it goes all the way to the garden yeah. and, and then forward from there. Yeah, I, I mean, just just wait till you read it, brother. It's gonna it's gonna blow you away what you're gonna see and what you're gonna learn. But but connected to the bail stuff, think about it. Mm-hmm. All of this perversion you're just talking about, your observations are absolutely correct. It's connected to bail worship. Well, bail worship is the oldest form of demonic worship, which would mean it's the oldest form of the worship of Satan himself. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the New Testament, that's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says it, and I mm-hmm. write about that in my book, and I give the examples where Jesus de- defines Baal himself as none other than Satan, mm-hmm. disguised as this idol to attract people to him. Now, so we understand what the Old Testament says about Baal. We understand what history says about Baal. Now we know what Jesus says about Baal, and Baal is mentioned all through the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Now let's talk about 2016 and 2017. Yes. So we've got ISIS uprising, the Middle East on fire, Syria collapsing into an irreconcilable civil war, Turkey collapsing into the rise of a new Ottoman Empire into an Islamic caliphate, uh, uh, Christianity being exterminated. And in the meantime, ISIS marches into a city called Palmyra, Syria, Mm -hmm. and they destroy an ancient Roman temple of Baal. Okay, and then ISIS later destroys what's called the Arch of Palmyra, which is the archway of Baal that overlooked the entrance to the temple of Baal. And everybody that went into the temple to sacrifice their children, to do their orgies, to get drug-induced, to worship the demon who is Satan, everybody had to pass under that arch. It was a proclamation of saying, I am now committing my life unto Baal. I am passing under his arch. Okay. When the temple was destroyed, certain powers in the world were very upset about it. But when the archway was destroyed, groups got together, elite billionaire groups from around the world, they got together and they reconstructed the arch, the Palmyra arch, Mm -hmm. the archway of Baal, and declared it to be of historical significance And then in 2016, they said, we're going to take it on a world tour to display it. Mm -hmm. All right, now, please hear me. And I'm very balanced with this in my book, but when I tell you everything, it'll freak you out. I understand that even pagan artifacts are historical artifacts, and they are worthy of museum display and learning about and, Mm -hmm. you know, and teaching our children right and wrong and go to the museum, see this Baal temple, see this Baal arch. That's nasty. The Bible talks about it. Yeah, and tell the truth about it, though. That's right. Exactly. Okay, so I'm cool with that. So when I first heard they were going to put this on display, I thought, well, okay, this just like a little museum piece they're going to take around the world. But, brother, that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. The first place they took it was to London, 
the number one economic capital of the world, mm-hmm. and they unveiled it, and they had a ceremony celebrating the arch to Baal, and they unveiled it on the day of Beltane. Your audience can look that up, and wow. Beltane is the official day upon which the people who worship Baal, the Satanists, the occultists, every day, like there's a Halloween that's deeply connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have maybe Resurrection Sunday and Christmas and Thanksgiving and all these things we have. Right. Well, the Satanists have their holidays, and Beltane is one of their main holidays. It is the day that they worship Baal, wow. and they call upon the whole world to worship Baal. So it was unveiled in the number one economic capital of the world, the major city of the European Union, mm-hmm. on Beltane with a ceremony. Mm-hmm. Then they took it from there to New York City and unveiled it a block away from ground zero. Mm-hmm. And they declared it as a symbol of freedom. Yeah. Well, this is why I, I wanted to ask you about it. I remember this, and this is yeah. like, this is so disturbing that well, we worse. have such few people to speak out about it. Yeah, it gets worse. They unveiled it as a symbol of freedom. The mayor said, this represents freedom. And you know what? She's right. But what it represents is freedom from God, mm. freedom from morality, right. freedom from sexual morality, freedom right. from demonic reaching out to the demons. Yeah. We have freedom to do this. She actually said that. She yeah. didn't say those words, but she said it represents freedom. But and Paul we, did say, brother, that our freedom is not for sin, that God that's created us free. That's it. Yeah. So watch this. So they unveiled it there. Where? New York City. What's in New York City? It's the number two economic capital of the world. It represents the power of the number one powerful nation of the world, the number one economy of the world. It also represents where um, Ground Zero is, and it also is the home of the United Nations. You know, this one world order, this globalist thing, which, by the way, Revelation 13 tells us that's what the Antichrist is involved in. Right. One world order, globalism, that's the spirit of Antichrist. We don't need God. We just need the governments and technology coming together under one government, and we will worship that as our Messiah. Uh, Revelation 13 is clear that that's going yeah. to happen one day. Now, so quick then they question, took it, brother. Uh, London, London is now closing in on being Londonistan with with the Muslim mayor. Oh, no and, doubt. Okay, so it's, we it's see... It's all connected. Right. So, and then the Western world, I've been reading a lot about this lately, that fertility rates in the Western world are down 40%. And the, the, the Muslim world, they're popping out four and five babies per woman. Okay, yeah. so, I mean, do the math. How long it will, will take, uh, some people say, in... 30 years, some people say in 50 years, but no one is saying that it's not going to happen. The total uh, elimination of Christianity in Europe, uh, similar to what we see in cities in the Middle East, where was the, a lot of these cities were the birthplace of Christianity, and now you can't find a Christian there. Yeah, well, no, you're right, you're right. And so it's all tied together. And so after they took it to London, then they took it to New York City, Then, in the beginning of 2017, they took it to Dubai in the Middle East. Well, what was going on in Dubai? (laughs) Well, number one, Dubai is one of the major economic capitals of the Islamic world. And what was going on when they unveiled it? The Global Governance Council, representing 120 nations, 4,000 people, 
Barack Obama and others spoke there, Elon Musk, their charter statement of foundation is, we're trying to bring the whole world together under one umbrella, and then it says, comma, all seven billion of us. And what did they, how did they open the conference? They unveiled the Arch of Baal, and they paid homage to it. But that's not all. Then about six months later in 2017, um, not six months later, three or four months later, in this year, 2017, they took it to Florence, Italy, at the opening of the G7 summit. Wow. Brother, every time that veil was celebrated and unveiled with ceremony, mm-hmm. It was done at a globalist center of the world. It is as though Satan himself is claiming his territory and spitting in the face of God, saying, I'm getting ready to own the whole world. Wow, that's powerful, brother. Folks, you've got to get this book. And uh, All of that's in that book. Yep. Yes. you. Everything got, we've talked about is in that book. You have got to get this book, folks. Uh, Gods and Thrones, uh, Brother Carl Gallops and... Uh, Brother, this you are you are so right now. I'm gonna have to dig into this, and we're gonna have to have you back, brother. Thank you. <laughs> well, let me put it like this: I am not inviting myself, but I will be glad to come. But I promise you, okay. with the relationship we have, when you finish reading that book, you're gonna want to talk some more about this stuff. Oh, look! I wish I had another hour already. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you're so kind. You're such a great brother, man. I love well, you. Please give your wife and father-in-law. My love. I and, will do that. And you too, uh, to Pam, please, you know, thank you. Uh, tell her that, um, you know, Kimberly and I, we just send our love your way. And I uh, will. Yeah. So will, anyway, brother. we're I right will. up at the end of the program. I, know. I, I just want to thank you again. It's all, it's such an honor. You do so much with your, your TV, your radio, your writings, uh, your travel, and you managed to have time to be the full-time pastor of a of a of a real church, okay? Yeah, it so. really is. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good-sized church too. I mean, it keeps me busy. Good, yeah, gracious. But they're yeah. sweet people. They've had me there. I'm in my thirty-first year as their pastor. Wow, wow. So God bless. So you've already had your thirtieth anniversary celebration, then? Yes, they did. They oh. sure did. They had a thirtieth anniversary celebration. They were so sweet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, brother, we're like less than a minute to the program, so yeah. we, we're going to have to uh, say goodbye uh, for right now, but we're going to have you back real, real soon. And thank Thanks. you again, and God bless you, brother. My pleasure. God bless you. Folks can find out all about me at carlgallops.com. Thank you, okay. brother Craig. All right. God bless you now. God bless you, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. Well, all right, folks, we're going to let that wrap the program up. And, again, that's Gods and Thrones is the book. Uh, Carl Gallops uh, is the author. CarlGallops.com is the website. Uh, Remember, tomorrow, 9 to 11, right here, your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, one of our best of programs. And next Wednesday, 7.30 to 8.30, uh, channel 95 Comcast, channel 36 Verizon. God bless you, Virginia. Where is the best news and talk? AM 820 WNTW Chester is the answer.